0: This podcast is sponsored by Position Green. To be an insider, you can subscribe to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, wherever you get your podcasts from. And please, leave us a five-star rating.
1: Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, host Mike Niemer will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space.
2: Education's important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now, here's Mike Niemer. Welcome into Episode 215 of the Green Insider Podcast, powered by E Renewable. I'm your host, Ron Culver, and with me, as always, is the CEO of E Renewable, Mike Niemer. We are extremely excited to bring you a fantastic show today. The president and CEO of Enchanted Rock, Thomas McAndrew, sits down with Mike to talk on all the ways technology can be used to produce greener energy, not just for cost savings, but helping in ways to produce a better planet. But before we jump into that conversation, let's hear from Mike's better half, Ann Niemer, COO of eRenewable.
0: Position Green helps companies build resilient and sustainable organizations. Position Green has a unique combination of ESG software, advisory, e learning, and assurance that drives sustainability success and empowers positive change. Visit positiongreen.com to learn more.
2: Thanks, Ann. And now here's Mike Niemer with the President and CEO of Enchanted Rock. Thomas McAndrew.
1: Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast powered by Renewable. I'm Mike Niemer, your host today. And today I have a special guest, Mr. Thomas McAndrew, founder and CEO of Enchanted Rock. On episode 215, you're going to hear Thomas, talk about all things green, all things clean energy, all things to make society a little bit better and a healthier place to live. Thomas, welcome to the show.
0: Mike, thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, uh, we like to let our listeners first know a little bit about the guest. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to Enchanted Rock, we'll take up from the conversation from that.
0: Sure. So Enchanted Rock is uh, kind of a, a culmination of, of my career. Uh, I spent about half of that in the, the design, operations, maintenance of, of power plants, and then the other half of that on the trading origination risk management side at, here in Houston. And so, if you look at Enchanted Rock, our original logo said technology and energy, and it's really the the combination of those two things. um, And and specifically looking at technologies at or close to the final point of electricity consumption that either decrease or that that decrease cost, decrease emissions, and increase reliability. And so, my background started off as a Navy nuke, actually mechanical engineer out of A and M and then in, into the Navy nuke on surface ships and really learned a lot about reliability systems in the Navy and have borrowed a lot of concepts from that time uh, and 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 kind of put them to use in Enchanted Rock and how we design, how we build, how we operate. Uh, the The second big piece of, of my career was really on the merchant power side, initially with Enron, another company, Statoil, then Calpine. So a tremendous amount of experience, both trading and risk management, uh, around power plants, but really big power plants, and and so we kind of saw the opportunity to to move to the final point of consumption as being the next frontier. Uh, the you know as most folks know that have been around Houston long enough, there was a bit of a implosion in the in the merchant power business, the IPP business, kind of o one o two. A lot of the the companies went under. Uh, that's when Enron went bankrupt, and then you had a lot of the IPPs for a different reason went under, um, but kind of looked like okay that the 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 big stuff and the transmission line stuff that really was was a a great opportunity but then the 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 next frontier was at that final point of electricity consumption so i spent i left calpine in 2002 um, and really spent the next three or four years digging in doing a lot of consulting with uh, commercial industrial type customers learning what their challenges were from a cost perspective from a reliability perspective when we launched Enchanted Rock in, in 2006. So that's kind of how I ended up there. It was initially just me, and I added a CT. Actually, added a seed investor. Uh, my first boss at, at Enron, Scott Neal, added him in, in late 2006, and then a CTO in, in, in 2007. So that was kind of the core group for the company.
1: Well, you know, you're the third or fourth former Enron, to be on the show. I too was at Enron. I was from there 90 to 96 uh, uh, in their oil trading tra- group, right. Enron Oil Trading Transportation. So that's what I did for a living uh, for, for a number of years here in Houston. That's what moved me to Houston. So welcome to the show as another fellow Enron person, but we were gone before the bankruptcy happened. Just yes. make sure everybody knows I, I,
0: that. I left in 97.
1: Yep. I was 96, so you're right behind me. But anyway, Enchanted Rock, when you go to your LinkedIn page and everything, First thing you see is you want to be known as electricity resiliency as a service. Right. Let's break that down so the listeners. I've not had anybody use that phrase on this show before, so let's educate the listeners as to what you're meaning by that.
0: Okay. There's a couple components to that, Mike. The electrical resiliency piece, let's talk about that first, and then the as a service second. Um, the electrical resiliency, what we're saying is that, that the power that you get off the grid uh, – you know it for a lot of businesses and critical infrastructure type services is just not reliable enough even at its design criteria and so you have challenges primarily due to weather um you have this above ground infrastructure i mean we've we've all seen it we have these these wooden power poles that are delivering kind of that last mile of electricity it could be to a hospital it could be to a grocery store uh senior living facility uh, the, a lot of these, these folks, there's a storm that will come through. They need to, to stay in business to do what they do, but that, that line got knocked down or something happened to that, that delivery infrastructure. And so that's kind of our the, the core of what we're trying to prevent is primarily weather-driven events that that, that knock out electrical service to the that, that critical infrastructure type of business or public service, whatever it might be. Um, and we want to be able to prevent that. And we do that by installing a natural gas microgrid at that facility. And uh, I'll go into natural gas in just a second of why we use that and why we love it. Um, and so we install this microgrid. What does that mean? We're we, we providing long-duration electrical resiliency. And so we need to have a fuel. We need to be able to run for days on end. If you look at uh, some of these events that we've had, whether it was Winter Storm Yuri, or the different hurricanes, Um, and it's not just in Texas, it's anywhere. I mean, we have uh, the fire prevention shutoffs out in California, different types of events, weather events, where you need to be able to to run not just for several hours, but for several days or weeks. And so we have a a, a natural gas generator that we install with the associated controls and switch gear um, that allows us to continue in operations for an indefinite period of time. We found that natural gas really is the most reliable fuel. It's kind of got a bit of a black eye during URI in Texas, but, you know, we didn't have any issues. We had over 200 microgrids in service in in just the Texas area. We didn't have any issues with natural gas. You just have to know how to buy it. Um, it, it, We we buy what's called firm no notice natural gas, and a lot of the large generators weren't able to do that. So we're in a little bit different place, and and, and we love the – the 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 reliability of that underground delivery whether it's a winter storm or, or especially a, a hurricane or different types of weather events that the traditional way was diesel and diesel has some disadvantages w- with regards to the actual deliverability You think about it what happens when you have a hurricane uh, what happens when you have an ice storm it's kinda of the same thing it's difficult to, to drive a tanker over the road so when it comes time to refuel there's a lot of challenges. Again, it really doesn't matter what the weather event is. It's, it's hard to get the truckers to drive to the different locations you have. And so natural gas, on the other hand, we don't have any of those issues. In fact, what we have seen, we've been doing this for a while, that the, the, the deliverability of the natural gas actually goes up during a weather uh, weather event like that because a lot of the traditional load goes down. And so we, we're very happy with, with that. Um, the service piece, so the, really kind of two... Two components to that One is We do everything Even if the customer Owns that microgrid Which really is more The exception We do everything Everything from the design The financing The, uh, the, the build The commission The operate over time So we make it super Super easy for our customers uh, Like HEB Walmart etc Some of your listeners Probably don't know Who HEB is I'm sure all of them Know who Walmart is Those are kind of Two Customers I'll talk about for a second. Walmart actually owns the microgrid, and we, but we make it super easy for them. They don't really have to do anything with, with regards to that microgrid to keep their lights on in and, 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 and a major storm. The, the opposite of that is HEB. HEB doesn't want to own that microgrid, and so we do, and then we provide that as a service. And so we signed a service contract with HEB. and and, and provide that, and we have certain quality requirements as far as the service that we have to maintain for them over whatever the period of the contract is. So that's the kind of the service piece. One last component to this, we really work hard to reduce the cost to the customer by participating in different types of grid programs, electricity grid programs, where we're effectively contingency capacity if there's a problem, some type of system emergency, uh, in the electric grid where there's a shortage of capacity, we'll turn on and we'll sell back to the electricity grid. And so that's kind of the last piece of this. We 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 don't ask our customers to take that type of risk, the market risk. We have investors that want that risk. They want the, the, the ability to sell back into the electricity market. Our customers really, you know, whether it's a hospital, senior living facility, most, you know, types of retail businesses, they don't want to be in the business of taking – electricity market risk and that's kind of our expertise going back to talking about my background a little bit we have we have the staff and we have the investors to be able to take that risk and manage it and so that's that's kind of the last piece of the as a service is that we really again we just turned it into a simple payment they can make to us it's it's much cheaper than typically they could do on their own
1: well let's go to the part about selling back into the grid so you know we've had folks on the show that talk about demand response and their facility gets shut down so that the grid can have their power. You're not talking about demand response, are you? No. So
0: we're not asking our customers to curtail their load at all. What we're saying, and we may be participating in a a type of demand response program, depending on where we are. For example, in California, it actually is considered a demand response program. But in, in the California case, it's a Microsoft data center, and they can't. They may be hosting ESPN during right. that period of time. They can't just shut down, and so we're not asking our customers to curtail their use of electricity. What we do is we'll turn on the generation, and the first thing we do is we actually displace their their consumption, and then any any capacity that we have greater than their consumption will export back onto the grid. But it 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 effectively creates that amount of it looks like demand response up to the point where we export and then it look, it's a little bit different
1: okay so let me go a same question different way okay so you're there the market's there that you could make some money right for yourself and the customer to sell back to the grid do you activate the natural gas generators yes that's what you're talking about doing just so the listeners understand yes, we
0: actually turn on the, the turn
1: on generators turn on now power up espn in your example right and what power they were going to use that came off the grid in California, you're now selling back to the grid, and they're making money out of it.
0: Effectively. That is, now, now there's different ways to get paid for it. Yes, we'll, we'll turn on. We have what's called a microgrid network operations center. We manage all of this. We have over 300 separate microgrids right now. We're managing about 600 megawatts with another 400 megawatts under construction. And we, we manage all of that from our operations center. And depending on the, the specific power price, the natural gas price of a, a, a certain microgrid, or it could be a signal that's coming from the grid operator that, that tells us to turn on. So we're either following price or we're following a command from a, a grid operator or a vertically integrated utility like Entergy. Um, we have business with them and then we will we'll turn on and again displace that, that energy consumption at that f- specific facility and then export whatever we have that's surplus.
1: And for those buyers that are listening out there, for c customers or utility or whatever, it is seamless when you switch to the natural yes. gas and they're off of the power, correct? Right. They, it doesn't inter- they no interrupt idea. their flow. They don't even know yeah. what happens, really.
0: They, they have no idea, and that's the way we like it. We're not asking for our customers to have any kind of interruption in their electric service. In fact... We, we absolutely don't want that to happen because that's disruptive for most of our customers to, to do. Even if it's a 10-second outage, we don't want that. So we actually operate in a way where our customers have no idea that we're running. And, 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 again, that's a good thing. That is a good thing.
1: So with that said, you know, you've talked about your 300 microgrids that you have, operate now, and you've got more on the way. You've got 400 more megawatts right. being built with those microgrids. How many of those locations have you also in, uh, deployed EV charging stations?
0: So actually, we're just starting to, to get into that business and um, working with Walmart on switch gear that actually enables them to bring in EV charging at, at their specific stores. As far as actually backing up EV charging, we have not done a deal that we're working on three or four separate deals like that. It's very important obviously, that, that these charging stations, especially for overnight fleet charging, that they have that power. I mean, you can think about it from the standpoint of uh, Amazon or, or, or FedEx, UPS, and they have fleets of electric vehicles that they're rolling out. If they lose power overnight and they can't charge, they're out of business the next day. So we think the fleet charging opportunity is probably one of the larger opportunities with regards to electrical resiliency. Uh, we're also looking at at the the large... Charging facilities at uh, at the different types of chain uh, gas station convenience stores across the country.
1: Gotcha. The, you know, there's a lot to be built out in the infrastructure right. with regards to EV charging. So the opportunities just enormous. Whether we can all get to it, I don't know right. yet.
0: Yeah. There's a challenge in many cases just getting the electricity, right? Yeah. And so with EV charging, not just EV charging, we're just seeing in general that's kind of the next big challenge is just availability of electricity as. A lot of the grids that were surplus and, and, and had plenty of extra capacity now are no longer surplus. And, and now we're trying to effectively electrify everything, electrify transportation, industrial-type uses that used to be natural gas, now converting that to electricity. In the middle of all this is this big AI data center build-out. So what was surplus isn't. And so now what we're seeing in, in, in a new opportunity is the ability to provide power before the utility can, and we call it bridge power, so that that's true with e v charging that's uh true with data centers. We're seeing more and more requests for folks that say, "I need to be in service this July, but I can't get utility service until a year after. Can you guys help us with that so that that's a pretty interesting opportunity and going to your comment, Mike, about just the infrastructure build out, we're just seeing that the infrastructure on the electric side is getting more and more challenged and 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 you need asset based solutions to to help solve that.
1: Well, when we think about all the different avenues we have to go green okay, and to become renewable and to have clean energy, you guys, among your 300 microgrids that you have, mm-hmm. you're helping the country you know, go that direction, and you've got more on the way. How many states are, do those 300 microgrids make up that you guys are in?
0: Right now, we're in about 11 states, and we're working on deals in another Eight to ten states, we expect over the next five years, we'll be in probably forty to forty-five states total in, in, in the United States, and, and also looking at some opportunities internationally. So we're, we're, you know, we follow our customers. We're actually looking at opportunities in Mexico right now. Um, again, following our customers, and, and, and they they basically say we need help in Mexico, we need help in the Northeast, and so that that's kind of how we enter new markets.
1: Well, that's terrific, you know, because. <clears throat> A uh, company as diverse as yours comes onto the show. I like to always kind of end the show by what do you see going forward in right. the future. And We kind of jumped ahead of the schedule right. with my question that led to that, but that's okay too. Right. So, uh, so do you guys go out and hit the convention circuit, telling your story? Or are you more in the crowd to learn, or do you, is your men out and women out there when they go to conventions and socialize, either speaking? And listening for education, or we're
0: we're really doing, really doing both. Um, You know, we have folks that, that, including myself, will go out and speak at different events, and we'll help the audience learn um, about what we do. But we're also there to learn on on what the challenges are for folks and how we can help with that. So yeah, we're we're pretty active um, uh, on the kind of the the conference circuit.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. You know, and uh, as you and I talked pre-show about, you know, I started the podcast for education right. just to educate the public. And so conversations like yours, there's never not enough of them because it is telling the listeners, no matter what state they're in or what country they're in, you're educating them on something they right. possibly didn't know before. But I was re- remiss that I forgot to bring up earlier on. When I was going through your website, you had a graph on there that I would not seen anybody have on. And it was on the renewable natural gas page. Right. So go to the Enchanted Rock Renewable Natural Gas page, and you're gonna see the graph on the carbon intensity of all the different products in the market. And listeners, we've had half a dozen people come on for renewable natural gas. We've talked about carbon intensity many, many times for responsibly sourced gas to the you know you know manure, to everything else. The chart that Thomas and his team has on his website will illustrate to you what we've been talking about for three years. Hats off to that whoever found that chart, because that, that's really a very, very nice chart and educational for people to yeah, look thank, at.
0: Thank you, Mike. It is very informative to, to understand the carbon intensity of the different sources of renewable natural gas. So when you guys um, source your renewable natural
1: gas, are you, depending on the project you're on, picking different carbon intensities based on the, what you need in that particular project, or do you have one that you just really like to go to?
0: Yeah, great great question. So the, the commitment we have with our customers that, that actually uh, purchase resiliency as a service but using renewable natural gas is that we have a carbon intensity of zero or less or, or negative, right? There's some that are deeply negative, and, and it sounds like you've talked about it before, you know, the, 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 the dairy for example, um, you know, the, down to two to three hundred uh, uh, negative on a carbon intensity score. We don't really need that. We may use to, that to blend on a on a, a source that has positive. But typically, what we r- really look for are the organic waste, the food waste, because those are have a carbon intensity of less than zero to start with, and it's not deeply less. so We're not overpaying either. So, and we see that as a, a a big source of news supply as more and more. Areas are, are learning how to capture that food waste directly, and, 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 and then we, you know, there's there's processing facilities being set up, all over the, the country. So we like the kind of the organic waste, the food waste is probably our best source of RNG, and you know, it's typically, depending on the source, you know, slightly negative to maybe negative fifty, and the price is right for what we're doing. It it, it clears the market for us. Well,
1: that's an important point that you made that you're able to be minus zero. So that's a positive effect to the project, right and you're not paying the outrageous price. Right. some of these very, very negative two or three hundreds are right can you uh do you know offhand what that price difference might mean for the listeners just to educate yeah, them?
0: So I can tell you where kind of where we're seeing pricing for just the attribute like so for the organic piece we're we're typically seeing for, for long term contracting, 10 to 15 year contracting, and we're seeing that call it. Fifteen to low twenties dollars an MMBTU, uh, and then you have to add transport and commodity cost on top of that. So for a landed cost for us right now, we're, we're you know that's the the RNG piece, the actual commodity piece, and the transportation to get it to our site because we're not co-located with the production. Um, we're we're usually talking somewhere about the mid twenties. Um, as far as the you know the 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 dairy and the the deeply negative. Sources of RNG. Honestly, I haven't been tracking that much much recently. But I mean, you can. I think what we've seen is the price can be two to three times that, and the production volumes are can be a lot lower. And so it it just uh, we don't we really don't track it that much. We know it's much more expensive, but we we have a much better sense on on what we want to buy and where that's priced.
1: That makes perfect sense, Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us on the Green Insider. You had a wealth of information. Thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, It's been absolutely my pleasure. Everybody, That was is Mr. Thomas McAndrew, founder and CEO of Enchanted Rock, visiting with uh, with us today on The Green Insider. And uh, so glad we got to come in studio. Somebody else that lived in Houston, I said, we got to come in studio. It's a much better podcast. This has been
0: perfect. I'd I'd much rather do in person.
1: Absolutely. Well, have a good day, Thomas, and listeners. Thank you so much for listening to The Green Insider, Power to Be Renewable. It's always appreciated. Have a great day.
2: Thanks again to Thomas McAndrew for being a part of The Green Insider podcast. And thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Ron Culver, reminding you that if you are not yet a subscriber to the Green Insider Podcast, what are you waiting for? Become one today from wherever you receive your podcast. And please leave us a five-star rating.
0: This podcast was sponsored by Position Green. For an introduction to our sponsor or find out how you too could be a sponsor, refer to our show notes to contact Renewable and the Green Insider Podcast.